first of all, I want to say thank you, Pastor Paul, uh, for that warm introduction. Uh, just being able to say Pastor Paul uh, is truly a blessing. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, you are the epitome of a servant leader, and I'm truly honored and blessed to be here with you and with the Victory family. Uh, so good morning, everyone. I said good morning, everyone. All right. Now, I grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is about an hour and a half. That's right. Give a shout out for Cam, Fredericksburg in the house. Uh, about an hour and 15 minutes down the road. And I grew up in the Baptist church. So where I come from, we start with a little call and response. So since I'm back home, I wanted to tap into some of those roots with you this morning. You know, as Pastor Paul said, uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and this is actually the 70th year that the country has recognized May as Mental Health Awareness Month. But how many of you knew that May was Mental Health Awareness Month? Not many, right? A few hands, which I think speaks to the heart of the issue that we're really going to tackle today. Uh, some of the secrecy around mental health problems, especially as it re relates to the church. Now, for you all who are social media conscious, the hashtag uh, for Mental Health Awareness Month is For Mind, For Body which is really designed to emphasize the interconnection uh, between our mental health and our physical health, because the two are truly uh, interconnected. Um, if we can go to the next slide. So first, during our time together, I'd like us to kind of define what mental health actually is. Uh, so the World Health Organization actually uh, defines mental health as a state of well-being in which every individual can do four things. They can realize his or her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitly, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. So I know that sounds like a lot. So let me give you the Cliff Notes version. Good mental health means that you can love, work, play, and pray. It means that you can love, that you have the ability to connect and make intimate and authentic relationships with people, and to be able to give and receive affection without fear. It means that you can work. It means that you can be proud of being productive, and you have a sense of meaning and purpose with your work. It means the ability to play. I saw a wonderful example of play last night with Paul and Taylor and their beautiful three children. As we, they were, I was trying to keep up with them on the downtown mall, but we all play but having good mental health means that we can play and derive pleasure from it with others. And lastly, as people of faith, it means that we pray, that we can commune and connect with God. So, as we dive into our time together and in today's message, uh, I'd like to begin with an icebreaker. Next slide. If each of you could please turn to your neighbor and for those of you who may be not directly connected to someone, that means you're going to have to get up. But I'd like for you to turn to your neighbor and share the story of your name. So share who named you, what your name means, and how your culture influenced the meaning of your name. So each person spend about one minute sharing their story and then switch. You can begin now. Well, I hope you enjoyed that exercise. This group over here seemed like there was a lot of laughter going on. 
so it seemed like they really connected uh, with each other. Uh, but in addition to trying to build community and maybe learning something about your neighbor that you didn't know before we started, the purpose of this exercise is really to show that our names have meanings and that our histories and that our culture impact those meanings, whether or not we consciously think about it or not. And who we are today is often shaped by what happened in the past. And so today, we're going to be exploring the story of the intersection of the church and mental health. And that story at times has had a very um, fractured relationship. So we're going to delve into some of the opportunities of that story as well as some of the challenges that are inherent in that story. But before we go into the story of the church and mental health, I'd like to share with you the story of my name, since you all participated so wonderfully in that exercise. Um, so my full name is Sidney Herbert Hankerson III. I was named, yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, I was named after my father, uh, and the story of my name is actually the story of my parents, and they're actually here today. So I want to acknowledge them and just express my gratitude for them coming up today. Um, so yeah, the story of my name is really the story of my parents. Sydney literally means south of the water. Uh, but the story begins with my paternal grandfather, who had the name Sydney first. My grandfather was born in a small town in Georgia, and he dropped out of school in the eighth grade. Because at that time, his family was extremely poor and wrought in poverty and Jim Crow, and he had to work to support the family. That led my dad to have a keen sense of the importance of education. And my father was actually valedictorian of his high school, which was the only black high school in the city of Fort Lauderdale at the time. So now turn to my mother's story. So my mother is the oldest of seven children, actually, who were born in a, in a small town, the country of Aiken, South Carolina. Um, and at that time, because of Jim Crow segregation laws, black adults were not permitted to either receive prenatal care or deliver babies in hospitals. So my mother was born in a country house. And because of Jim Crow and segregation, uh, as you can imagine, the prenatal care that my grandmother got was non-existent. So three of her children died. So only four of my mother's siblings survived. So track 20 years, my, my mom went off to, to Atlanta to Spelman College. My dad went to, to Atlanta to Morehouse College. They met. Um, and my dad, being from the city, the city mouse, kind of met the country mouse and said, you know, if we have a son, I'd like to name him Sidney. And so that is the story of my name. And that story, through the story of my parents, um, is really shaped by how social injustices in this country that have tarnished this country's history have influenced, probably on some level, the work that I do to try to promote equity, to make sure that all people uh, receive access to quality health care. So that's the story of my name, and Paul told you a little bit about uh, kind of what I do professionally, but I'd like to share with you a lesser part of my story. Journey back with me to Emory University in my fourth year of medical school. For those of you who don't know, uh, the fourth year of medical school is probably the easiest year of medical school. I heard somebody say, yep, yeah, so I got an amen over here. <laughs> All right, 
So the fourth year, you're kind of done with all of your coursework. You kind of know what you're going to do. So it's pretty much a breeze. So as I entered my fourth year, I initially was excited. But then something started to shift. I realized that I was struggling to concentrate when I was in the hospital on the wards. And then I found myself staying in bed 14 or 15 hours a day. I was physically exhausted. I had to have four or five cups of coffee just to make it through the day. And there were times that I would cry for no apparent reason. I knew something was wrong, but I said, you know, I'm about to be a doctor. <laughs> so I can push through this. I'll be okay. But things never got better. And so I had to go through the internal dialogue of, do I get help or do I just try to keep pushing and get it on, make through this on my own? But things never got better. So I made one of the hardest decisions of my life, but also the best decisions of my life, and I went to see a therapist. And I still see a therapist every single week. And so I share that with you all because I think that sometimes as people of faith, we struggle with the notion of seeking therapy. And we don't talk about the struggles that we have. So I'd like us to delve a little deeper um, into this topic. Next um, slide. So what about you? What about you? Maybe you've experienced a time in your life when you struggled with an emotional problem. And I bet that as you shared the story of your name that you didn't talk about a family history of a mental health problem. And I bet that as you shared the story of your name that you didn't talk about a time that you struggled emotionally. Maybe you struggled with a depressive episode. I'm not talking about a period of sadness that we all had a year ago when our beloved Cavaliers lost in the first round of the tournament. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about a clinical syndrome that's a cluster of lack of getting any pleasure out of activities that you do, of difficulty concentrating, of overwhelming hopelessness, of insuffocating guilt. I'm talking about something that impacts your functioning. And if that's you, you're not alone. Uh, see the next slide, please. You know, the World Health Organization a few years ago released a report showing that major depression is now the number one cause of disability in the world. So more people are suffering in silence. More people are impaired. More people are having a lower quality of life than any other medical condition. But maybe it wasn't depression. Maybe it was anxiety. And maybe you've struggled with anxiety. And no, I'm not talking about, for my Game of Thrones fans, I'm not talking about the anxiety that we had last week, wondering who was going to survive the Battle of Winterfell. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about crippling, gripping anxiety, where you literally feel paralyzed with fear and uncertainty of what's to come. I'm talking about anxiety that may swell to the point that for a brief periods of time, your heart may race, you can't breathe, your head hurts, you feel nauseous, and you have what we call panic attacks. If that's you, you're not alone. Anxiety disorders are actually the most common mental health disorders in the United States. Next slide, please. Well, maybe it wasn't depression or anxiety, but maybe the blank one. Maybe you struggled with an eating disorder. Maybe you started off wanting to lose weight, 
But then you became and had this compulsive and obsessive desire to lose weight to the point that you would take pills or exercise four or five hours a day or maybe even go off somewhere and force yourself to vomit. And maybe you were exposed to trauma. Maybe as a child you were exposed to the horrors of physical or sexual abuse or you were in a relationship that involved domestic violence. And tragically, all of us in this room were exposed to the trauma of racism just a few years ago in Charlottesville with the tragedies that happened in the downtown mall. And maybe you're just overwhelmed with stress. Maybe you're a student who's freaked out by how many student loans you have and when you're gonna get a job. Or maybe you're wondering how your relationship is gonna get, end up or if you're gonna find a partner who's right for you. Or maybe you're just overwhelmed with everything else that you have going on in your life. And perhaps to deal with all the stresses that you have in your life, maybe you've turned to substances as a way to cope. So maybe your doctor told you that it's healthy to drink one glass of wine a day, but now one glass has turned into one whole bottle. Or maybe you started vaping every now and then just because it was cool, but now you're smoking marijuana four or five times a day. Or maybe your body is riddled with pain and you've actually thought about buying prescription drugs off the street. And finally, perhaps you've sometimes wondered if your life is worth living. Having suicidal thoughts is actually one of the symptoms of depression. It is one of the core symptoms of depression. And perhaps you or a loved one have actually made a suicide attempt. Or maybe you know someone who has taken their own life. So I think it's unfortunate but true that this issue of suicide has filtered down to the youngest among us. Next slide. For the first time in this country's history, black boys between the ages of five and 11 years old have higher rates of suicide than white boys. So our children are killing themselves. Could you imagine him taking his own life? This is the reality that in which we live. Given everything that we've just covered, it's safe to say that we all have been impacted by a mental health problem. And the amazing thing, the hopeful thing, is that churches are at the forefront of addressing this issue. Next slide. In the United States, regardless of a person's race or ethnicity or their religious orientation, more people are first likely to try to seek help from church leaders when they're experiencing a mental health problem than they are to seek care from a medical doctor or from a psychiatrist. Now, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to come see me. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the reality. You know, my pastor used to say, churches are hospitals for people who are hurting, not sanctuaries for saints. But sometimes we act like this place is supposed to be a sanctuary for saints. You may be thinking to yourself, if I could see the next slide, all this stuff is cool but I believe in the Lord. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The power that raised him is inside of me. I don't believe in any of this mental health stuff. What do we say when we go to church? We put on our Sunday best and we say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Or maybe we say, I'm too anointed to be disappointed. <laughs> are we gonna keep it real today, Victory, or are we not? That's what we say. 
In fact, many Christians believe that mental health problems are due to either personal sin, you know, you just need to get that sin out of your life, or you ain't tithing. So personal sin or a lack of faith. If you just would trust in the Lord more, all of your problems would go away. And especially with anxiety, I think one of the most often ill-quoted verses in the Bible is fear not or be anxious for nothing. For someone who struggles with anxiety, what are they supposed to do with that? And so I think, you know, maybe even some of you here have fallen away from the faith at times because you or a loved one have experienced a mental health problem and have entered a church that has treated people with mental health problems harshly. And so if that's your story, I'm sorry for your experiences, but today we're going to rewrite that story. And so the good news is that since we are all impacted by mental health problems, the Bible, the Bible has something to say on this topic. If we could go to the next slide. Uh, so for our scripture today, we're going to go to the book of Matthew. So turn with me or open your Bible apps uh, <laughs> uh, to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 28 through 30. Now, as you're turning, I want to put this chapter in context. Matthew is the first chapter uh, in the book in the New Testament. And the first few chapters of Matthew actually traces Jesus' family tree. It goes through his genealogy. So it tells the story of his name. The next few chapters kind of follow Jesus and the disciples as he does some of his ministerial work. And then we come to chapter 11. Jesus is in the city of Galilee for what has become known as his public ministry. In Galilee, he begins to teach and preach there. So everybody with me? All right, so beginning with verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So now for uh, verses 28 through 30, and this is Jesus speaking, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'd like to really focus on um, four of these verses uh, and to revisit and, and dive in a little bit more detail. Beginning with verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The blind, which I'm highlighted, the lame, those with leprosy, the deaf, the poor, what do all these conditions have in common? Physical ailments, yeah, yeah. Anything else? 
Well, there's certainly physical ailments, but in that time, and even to some degree today, these are highly stigmatized conditions, especially when you think about leprosy. Leprosy is literally how the word stigma was defined. Stigma traditionally means a mark, some type of mark, a mark of shame that, that casts someone into another group. And so leprosy is a condition where people have all kinds of different skin ailments and blotches. And people in Jesus' time did not want to be around any of these people, the blind, the lame, those with leprosy, the deaf, and the poor. And to some degree, that still is very much the case today. They are highly stigmatized. And the same could be said about folks who have mental illness. We highly stigmatize mental illnesses. But I think that the alternative version, perhaps if Jesus were around today, the fact that he was doing his public ministry and, and providing compassionate care to this group of people who received so much stigma, but this is where Jesus was. He was spending his time with this group of people and used it as an example to tell the messenger for John to show what he is doing in his ministry. So how does that translate into mental health and addressing people how Jesus perhaps would address people with mental health problems? Perhaps he would say something like, those with depression have hope. Those with anxiety have peace. Those with eating disorders have relief. Those with drug use can get sober. And those with suicidal thoughts have life. So I believe this is how, this is the attitude by which we should talk about, engage, and promote mental health in the church. Not as an either or phenomenon, you either have faith or you don't, or you either get treatment and you don't have faith, but working synergistically together, just as Jesus did in, in working with groups who were highly stigmatized. This is the hope that we see uh, in Christ. And so now turning to the last uh, part of Matthew, uh, starting with chapter 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This verse, I think, is just highly hopeful because the key element of mental health problems is weariness and a sense of burdensomeness and a not, not being able to rest. Folks who struggle with mental health problems often just feel on edge. And so Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. And then in the next verse, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, this is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, but how many of you really know what a yoke is? I know I didn't. I see some hands, maybe because we're in Virginia and some rural stuff going on. <laughs> but certainly in New York, folks don't know what a yoke is. But we use this word in everyday language. <laughs> Brother's shirt back there, I think, says, I'm going to yoke you up. <laughs> in, in male and female relationships, we talk about being equally yoked. But what is a yoke? Next slide. So this is actually a picture of a yoke in use. So a yoke is a bar or a frame that connects two animals, traditionally, you know, cows or oxen, for working together. The animals pull some type of heavy load. Sometimes it can be a, heart, a cart or, or maybe a blade for tilling the ground. 
So you can see in this image, uh, there's this circle, and then there's this chain that connects to the load that they're carrying. And the idea of the yoke is that one of the cows is usually older and stronger than the other. And the thought is that the older animal will be able to do more of the pulling, which will teach the younger animal what it is supposed to do. The younger animal will learn how to pull the load when working side by side with this older animal. And when animals, just like in this image, are yoked together, they must go in the same direction for the work to be completed. So when we return to the verse with a full understanding of what the yoke means, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The implication is that if we yoke ourselves to Jesus, who is the risen Savior, we have him to labor for us at our sides. I think this is so powerful when we're confronting mental illnesses because Jesus is ultimately the ultimate source of healing and he has equipped professionals, whether they're licensed marriage family counselors, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, or pastoral counselors, as well as other supports to be able to work with people to help them work through their mental health problems. So if you identified as struggling with one of the conditions that we discussed earlier, whether it was depression or anxiety, an eating disorder, substance use, or you just feel completely overwhelmed with your present reality, then I encourage you and I encourage all of us to yoke ourselves to Christ. And yoking ourselves to Christ, I think two things happen. One, we let him lead us and we have to first admit that something is wrong. That's the first part of seeking help, admitting that something is wrong. And that can be the most difficult part, especially in the body of Christ. I think we have this notion that we have to have present as if everything is all together. But I think in admitting that something is wrong, um, and then we actually take the step to seek help. So some of you may have been thinking actually about seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist, but maybe life got in the way. In these moments, I encourage you to yoke yourself with Christ and let him lead you to the appropriate resources. And then in verse 30, uh, Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So what does that mean? Sometimes when two animals were yoked together, it, one would get hurt, usually the younger animal, because they're pulling this heavy load, the older animal is pulling hard, and it could cause shoulder injuries, injuries to the, to the other animal. But Jesus is saying that his yoke is easy. It's not painful or hard or harmful. And his burden, the load that he's carrying is light. I think that gives us tremendous help and hope. You know, it will take work, and I want to be clear about this point. And as we talk about yoking ourselves to Christ, as we're talking about the intersection of church and mental health, um, it's going to take work. I think sometimes uh, we think about quick fixes, right? We're the microwave generation, but it will take work. By show of hands, how many of you have tried to lose weight or had tried to go on a workout regimen? And how have you, many of you, Monday morning, have got up at 6 o'clock, had your clothes laid out, got to the gym at 6.30, excuse me, had a great workout, 
went to sleep and Tuesday morning kept hitting snooze. <laughs> and then said, I'll do this next Monday. And the cycle continues. So it may take a long time to overcome whatever mental health challenge that we're working with because we've been carrying emotional baggage for a long time. It can take years to unpack it. The encouraging thing is, is that if we have the model of yoking ourselves to Jesus, I think that we can be guided and work in tandem with him to get the help that we need. I believe that the, the center of Jesus's message uh, is that he wants to help and heal people who are hurting emotionally. He's done it for me. I mentioned that I see a therapist every single week. So therapy, as well as exercise, as well as trying to eat well and spending time with people I, that I love, has become a part of my wellness plan. So what are we going to do now? How are we going to apply what we've learned today? How are we going to jumpstart this Healthy Living series? And how are we going to move forward as we talk about the intersection of church and mental health? Maybe for you, that looks like starting to admit that things are not going well. Maybe for you, that looks like instead of saying on next Sunday, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Maybe it says, you know what? I'm going to tell someone that I'm really going through some stuff today and that I've been going through some stuff for a while and I'm not sure where to turn, but I know something's off. Maybe for you, it looks like admitting that that one pill that of your friends that you took because it's final season of Adderall, right? That one pill that you took, but now that you need two or three just to kind of make it through the day, that's not normal. And that maybe that you need help with that. Or maybe it's that the binging and purging that you've done in secret, you decide that you're going to actually talk to someone about it. So what would we as a community look like if, if all of us decided to kind of rewrite the story of mental health and the church? If we could have the next slide. We can rewrite the story. Um, we've covered a lot of ground today. The current story is that, you know, depression causes more disability than any other condition in the world. The current story is that people are suffering in silence. And the current story is that our people and our children are taking their own lives. Imagine if our church or in our community groups, we decided to rewrite this story. That instead of uh, using the little um, slogans that we've learned to mask our true emotions, we decided to have authentic fellowship with one another. And imagine if we started to have authentic fellowship with our Father in prayer and admitting that we feel at our wit's end and we don't know where to go and asking him to provide us with support. I believe that if we do that, then in the last slide, then we'll be doing what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, in the chap 12th chapter and the second verse, which says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I believe that engaging in conversations about the church and, and mental health, acknowledging our own brokenness and the desire to receive healing truly is about transformation. 
And if only one of us today takes the first step to actually seek help, we can transform that person's life. But we don't have to stop there. If we can transform one person's life, then we can transform a family. And if we can transform a family, we can begin to create new branches of that family tree that we talked about at the beginning of our time together. And we can begin to transform not only a family, but then we can transform a bunches of families, which is what this church is made up of. And if we can transform one church, then we can transform a city. And if we can transform this city, we can transform this world. Let's all of us be earnest and be committed to being about the business of transformation. Thank you.